0: Chapter 27 of All Along the River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. All Along the River by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter 27 Gone Deeper Than All Plummets Sound church bells are always ringing in that city of many churches and there were bells ringing solemnly and slowly as isola walked feebly up the two flights of stairs that led to colonel disney's lodging she walked even more slowly than usual and her husband could hear her labouring breath as she went up step by step leaning on the banister rail he had offered her his arm but she had repulsed him Almost rudely at the bottom of the stairs, they went into the drawing room, which was bright with flowers in a sunlit dusk. The sun streaming in through the narrow opening between the Venetian shutters, which had been drawn together but not fastened, all was very still in the quiet house so still that they could hear the splash of the fountain in the piazza and the faint rustling of the limes in the garden husband and wife stood facing each other he anxious and alarmed she deadly pale and with gleaming eyes well she is gone she is mrs hulbert now and she belongs to him and not to us any more said disney talking at random watching his wife's face in nervous apprehension of he knew not what we shall miss her sadly Aren't you sorry she is married Isola, after all? Sorry no I am glad glad with all my heart I have waited for that And then before he was aware she had flung herself at his feet and was kneeling there, with her head hanging down, her hands clasped, a very Magdalene. I waited till they were married so that you should not refuse to let her marry his brother waited to tell you what i ought to have told you at once when you came home from india my only hope of pardon or of peace was to have told you then to have left you for ever then never to have dared to clasp your hand never to have dared to call myself your wife never to have become the mother of your child all my life since that day has been one long lie, and nothing that I have suffered, not all my agonies of remorse, can atone for that lie unless God and you will accept my confession and my atonement to day. Isola, for God's sake, stop! Again the racking cough seized her, and she sank speechless at his feet. He lifted her in his arms and carried her to the sofa and flung open the shutters and let the light and air stream in upon her as she lay prostrate and exhausted, wiping her white lips with a blood-stained handkerchief. He looked at her in a kind of horrified compassion. He thought that she was raving, that the excitement of the morning had culminated in fever and delirium. He was going to ring for help meaning to send instantly for her doctor, when she stopped him, laying her thin, cold hand upon his arm, and holding him by her side. "'Sit down by me, Martin. Don't stop me. I must tell you all the truth.' Her words came slowly, in gasps. Then, with a great effort, she gathered up the poor remnant of her strength, and went on in a low, tremulous voice yet with the tone of one whose resolve was strong as death itself. There was a time when I thought I could never tell you, that I must go down to my grave with my sin unrevealed, and that you would never know how worthless a woman you had loved and cherished. Then, on my knees before my God, I vowed that I would tell you all, at the last, when I was dying, and death is not far off now martin i have delayed too long too long there is scarcely any atonement in my confession now i have cheated you out of your love he looked at her horror-stricken their two faces close to each other as he bent over her pillow no this was no delirium there was a terrible reality in her words the eyes looking up at him were not bright with fever, but with the steady, resolute soul within, the soul panting for freedom from sin. "'You have cheated me out of my love,' he repeated slowly. "'Does that mean that you lied to me that night in London, that you perjured yourself, calling God to witness that you were pure and true?' i was true to you then martin my sin had been repented of i was your loving loyal wife without one thought but of you loving loyal he cried with passionate scorn you have deceived and dishonoured me you have made your name a byword a jest for such a man as van sittart crowther and for how many more you had lied and lied and lied to me, by every look, by every word, that made you seem a virtuous woman, and a faithful wife. My God, what misery! Martin, have pity. Pity? Yes, I pity the woman in the streets. Am I to pity you as I pity them? You, whom I worshipped, whom I thought as pure as the angels, wearing nothing of earth but your frail loveliness which to me always seemed more of spirit than of clay and you were false all the time false as hell the toy of the first idle profligate whom chance flung into your path it was lost with ill. that man was right he would hardly have dared to talk to you as he did if he had not been certain of his facts lostwithiel was your lover martin have pity she repeated with her hands clasped before her face pity don't i tell you that i pity you pity you whom i used to revere great god can you guess what pain it is to change respect for the creature one loves into pity i told you that i would never hurt you that i would never bring shame upon you isola you have no unkindness to fear from me but you have broken my heart you have slain my faith in man and woman i could have staked my life on your purity i could have killed the man who slandered you and you swore a false oath you called upon heaven to witness a lie I was a miserable creature, Martin. I could not bear to lose your love. If death had been my only penalty, I could have borne it, but not the loss of your love. And your sister and her husband, they were as ready with their lies as you were, he exclaimed bitterly. Don't blame Gwendolen. I telegraphed to her, imploring her to stand by me, to say that I was in London with her and you are not in london no except to pass through when when i had escaped from him and was on my way home escaped my god what villainy must have been used against you so young so helpless tell me all without reserve as freely as you want to be forgiven i was not utterly wicked martin i did not sin deliberately "'I did not know what I was doing when I wrecked my life "'and destroyed my peace of mind forever. "'I never meant to forget you, or to be false to you, "'but I was so lonely, so lonely. "'The days were so dreary and so long. "'Even the short autumn days seemed long, "'and the evenings were so melancholy without you. "'And he came into my life suddenly.' like a prince in a fairy-tale, and at first I thought very little about him. He was nothing more to me than anyone else in Trelasco. And then somehow we were always meeting by accident, in the lanes, or by the sea, and he seemed to care for all the things I cared for. The books I loved were his favourites. For a long time we talked of nothing but his travels, and of my favourite books there was not a word spoken between us that you or any one else could blame a common opening said martin disney with scathing contempt one of the seducer's favourite leads and then one evening in the twilight he told me that he loved me i was very angry and i let him see that i was angry and i did all i could to avoid him after that evening i refused to go to the ball at lostwithiel knowing that i must meet him there but they all persuaded me mrs crowther mrs baynham tabitha they were all bent upon making me go and i went oh god if i had but stood firm against their foolish persuasion if i had but been true to myself but my own heart fought against me I wanted to see him again, if only for the last time. He had talked about starting for a long cruise to the Mediterranean. His yacht was ready to sail at an hour's notice. You went, and you are lost. Yes, lost, irretrievably lost. It is all one long, wild dream when I look back upon it. He implored me to go away with him but I told him, no, 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 not for worlds. Nothing should ever make me false to my husband. Nothing. I swore it, swore an oath which I had not the strength to keep. Oh, it was cruel, heartless, treacherous, the thing he did after that. When I was going away from the dance, he was there at my side, and he put me into the wrong carriage his own carriage. And when I had been driven a little way from the hotel, the carriage stopped, and he got in. I thought that he was driving me home. I asked him how he could be so cruel as to be with me in his own carriage, at the risk of my reputation. But he stopped me, shut my lips with his fatal kiss. Oh, Martin, how can I tell these things? The horse went almost at a gallop, i thought we should be killed i was half fainting when the carriage stopped at last after rattling up and down hill and he lifted me out and i felt the cold night air on my face the salt spray from the sea i tried to ask him where i was whether this was home but the words died on my lips and i knew no more knew no more till i woke from that dead dull swoon in the cabin of the vendetta and heard the sailors calling out to each other and saw lostwithiel sitting by my side and then and then it was all one long dream a dream of days and nights and rain and tempest i thought the boat was going down in that dreadful night in the bay of biscay would to god that she had gone down and hidden me and my sin for ever. But she lived through the storm, and in the morning she was anchored near Arcachon, and Lostwithiel went on shore, and sent a woman in a boat to bring me clothes, and to attend upon me. And I contrived to go on shore with the woman when she went back in the boat that had brought her, and I borrowed some money on my ring at a jeweller's in Arcachon, and I left by the first train for Paris, and went on from paris to london and never stopped to rest anywhere till i got home may god bring me face to face with that ruffian who imposed upon your helplessness cried martin disney no no martin he was not a ruffian he betrayed me but i loved him he knew that i loved him i was as great a sinner as he i was his before he stole me from my home His in mind and in spirit. It was our unhappy fate to love each other. And I forgave him, Martin. I forgave him on that night of tempest when I thought we were going to die together. You don't expect me to forgive him, do you? You don't expect me to forgive the seducer who has ruined your life and mine? His brother is your sister's husband, Martin. I'm sorry for it oh john hulbert is good he is frank and true he is not like the other but oh martin pity lost withiel and his sin as you pity me and my sin it is past and done i was mad when i cared for him a creature under a spell you won my heart back to you by your goodness you made me more than ever your own all that he had ever been to me all that i had ever thought or felt about him was blotted out as if i had never seen his face nothing remained but my love for you and my guilty conscience the aching misery of knowing that i was unworthy of you he took her hand and pressed it gently in silence then after a long pause when she had dried the tears from her streaming eyes And was lying faint and white and still caring very little what became of her poor remnant of life he said softly i forgive you isola as i pray god to forgive you i have spent some happy years with you not knowing if it was a delusion it was very sweet while it lasted it was not a delusion she cried putting her arms round his neck in a sudden rapture at being pardoned. My love was real! The door opened softly, and the kindly face of the Anglican priest looked in. I have seen the lovers on their way to Florence, he said, and have come to ask how Mrs. Disney is after her fatiguing morning. I am happier than I have been for a long time, answered Isola, holding out her hand to him. I am prepared for the end let it come when it may he knew what she meant and that the sinner had confessed her sin come out for a stroll with me disney he said and leave your wife to rest for a little while i am afraid she'll miss her kind nurse disney started up confusedly like a sleeper awakened and looked at his watch i believe i have a substitute ready to replace allegra by this time he said ringing the bell has the person from england arrived he asked the servant yes sir she came a quarter of an hour ago ask her to come here at once oh martin you have not sent for a hospital nurse i hope cried isola excitedly indeed i am not so bad as that i want very little help i could not bear to have a stranger about me this is not a stranger isola there came a modest knock at the door as he spoke come in he said and a familiar figure in a grey merino gown and smart white cap with pink ribbons entered quietly and came to the sofa where isola was lying tabitha she cried Don't say you're sorry to see an old face again, mrs Disney. I told Mr Martin that if you should ever be ill and want nursing, I'd come to nurse you if you were at the other end of the world. And Mr Martin wrote and told me you wanted an old servant's care and experience to get you over your illness. And here I am. I've come every inch of the way without stopping, except at the buffets. And all I can say is, Rome is a long way from everywhere. And the country i've come through isn't to be compared with cornwall she ran on breathlessly as she seated herself by that reclining figure with the waxen face it may be that she talked to hide the shock she had experienced on seeing the altered looks of the young mistress whose roof she had left in the hour of shame she had left her refusing to hold commune with one who had sinned so deeply The faithful servant had taken leave of her mistress in words that had eaten into isola's heart as if they had been written there with a corrosive acid i am very sorry for you mrs disney she said you are young and pretty and you are very much to be pitied and god knows i have loved you as if you were my own flesh and blood but i won't stay under the roof of a wife who has brought shame upon herself and has dishonoured the best of husbands isola had denied nothing had acknowledged nothing and had let tabitha go and now they met again for the first time after that miserable parting and the servants eyes were full of pitying tears and the servants lips spoke only gentlest words what a virtue there must be in death when so much is forgiven to the dying martin disney went out with the priest but at the corner of the piazza he stopped abruptly. "'Isola's coughing fit has upset me more than it has her,' he said. "'I am not fit company for any one, so I think I'll go for a tramp somewhere, and meet you later at dinner, when I've recovered my spirits a little. Arrivederci," said the priest, grasping his hand. "'I felicitate you upon this day's union, a happy one, or I am no judge of men and women.' i don't know disney answered gloomily the woman is true as steel the man comes of a bad stock you know what the scripture says about the tree and the fruit there never was a race yet that was altogether bad said the priest virtues may descend from remote ancestors as well as vices i think you told me moreover that captain hulbert's mother was a good woman she was she was one of my mother's earliest and dearest friends then you should have a better opinion of her son if ever i met a thoroughly good fellow in my life i believe i met one the day i made captain hulbert's acquaintance pray god you may be right said disney with a sigh i am no judge of character he turned abruptly and skirted the hill on his way to the gardens of the villa borghese where he found shade and seclusion in the early afternoon. The carriages of fashionable Rome had not yet begun to drive in at the gate. The cypress avenues, the groves of immemorial Ilex, the verdant lawns, where the fountains leapt sunward, were peopled only by creatures of fable, fixed in marble, fawn and dryad, hero and god. Martin Disney plunged into the shadow of one of those funereal avenues, and, while the sun blazed in almost tropical splendour upon the open lawn in the far distance, he walked, as it were, in the deep of night, a night whose gloom harmonised with that darker night in his despairing heart. Great God, how he had loved her! How he had looked up to her! revering even her weakness as the expression of a childlike purity. And while he had been praying for her, and dreaming of her, and longing for her, and thinking of her as the very type of womanly chastity, unapproachable by temptation, unassailable, secure in her innocence and simplicity as Athene or Artemis, with all their armour of defence, while he had so loved and trusted her she had flung herself into the arms of a profligate as easily won as the lightest wanton she had done this thing and then she had welcomed him with wan sweet smiles to his dishonoured home she had made him drink the cup of shame a byword it might be for the whole parish as well as for that one man who had dared to hint at evil and yet he had forgiven her forgiven one to whom pardon meant only a peaceful ending forgiven as a man holds himself forgiven by an all-merciful god as he hears words of pity and promise murmured into his ear by the priest upon the scaffold when the rope is round his neck and the drop is ready to fall how could he withhold such pardon when he had been taught that god forgives the repentant murderer End of chapter 27